Welcome back to the Chicago Tomahawk. I'm Mike. Got Matt up top, and Jake Hahn is guest starring with us today on the show. Great to be- have you back on, Jake. How you doing, man? Great to be back on, guys. I'm, I missed you. It's been way too long, so it's it's good to talk some hockey with you. We're right in the thick of it, too. Uh, middle of the playoffs. We're two rounds done. Kind of just digging our teeth now into the third round. And we've got some interesting teams to talk about. I mean, three teams that are still alive that were alive at this point last year as well. So we've seen some consistency in terms of the playoff results over the past couple of seasons. I don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed the playoff hockey up to this point so far. I think that there's there's a something good going on here with with what is going on with the scheduling because by the end of the season these guys are sick of playing each other and now they have to go through a playoff series with each other i'm i'm yeah. wondering if maybe next season um when they when they put a a full schedule back together if they're going to take that into consideration where like hey maybe we should have some of these divisional teams play each other more at the end of the season aside from say maybe the, uh, the beginning of the season yeah, just to ramp up some of the rivalries a little bit. And, and I have noticed, too, in some of these series, maybe more so than other playoff years. I mean, there's always a lot of animosity in the playoffs and, and bad blood and things like that. Sometimes it doesn't take long into a series to really get that sort of bad blood. But I feel like it's almost instant now because these teams just faced each other so much throughout the course of the season. And even with the Islanders and, and Tampa Bay, who we're seeing go head to head, I mean, they didn't play each other this season in particular because they came from different divisions. But they played each other in the playoffs last year six games I'm sure the Islanders were frustrated that they couldn't get through Tampa Bay and you could tell right away game one these teams don't like each other and and, you know the Islanders were were pretty ticked off maybe a bit of a chip on their shoulder to think hey we're not going to lose to this team once again so I've noticed a lot of physical play a lot of you know face washing after the whistle I think the one the one division that didn't really have it you know maybe up until uh, now when Vegas is playing Montreal was the Canadian division I didn't feel like there was a lot of that after the whistle stuff and you know the Montreal Toronto series or the Montreal Winnipeg series it, it seemed like it was pretty much a, a you know sort of clean series and and not a lot of that kind of physical play right but now that Montreal is playing Vegas I, I feel like they're bringing it out of out of Montreal a little bit what do you think about the the hit on the what was it the Jets and Montreal Shifley the Shifley hit Shifley yeah. Evans hit yeah yeah, I mean, that was a contentious topic, uh, obviously, in, in the hockey community, just in terms of the amount of games he was going to get, right? I think we could all agree that he deserved something for that hit, and it was it was just unnecessary, I think, the timing of it and everything like that. But in Shifley's defense, and, and you know, I'm not defending the hit or anything like that, but in his defense as someone that, that's grown up playing hockey, that whenever these hits are made, whenever there's a questionable bad hit, I always try to put myself in the, the skate's of the guy delivering the hit and saying, okay, what could I have done differently in this situation to make this a safer play or to not hit the head or, or, you know, to not have this be a suspendable offense. I think Shifley did everything right up until about a second before he made the hit, because a lot of people said that, you know, he skated from the end of the ice to make the hit. He was skating from the end of the ice to protect his net and, and to save the empty netter because they're only down one at that point. You stop the empty netter. You still can maybe get a couple looks at the net, tie the thing up and and go to overtime. So he did everything right hustling back going at full speed but he did have an opportunity to lay up and not deliver that hit and to maybe play the stick or something like that or 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 have a more clean hit to the chest so like I said it's a suspendable play for sure you know did he deserve four I thought maybe that could have been a bit steep two or three I think would have been a bit bit more fair yeah two was probably the number I was thinking so I was shocked that they went four and and they sent that kind of message and uh, obviously he was frustrated to be taken out of the series like that but you know he he did it to himself and and he he could have made a better decision but i i don't think that it was worthy of four games yeah it's it's kind of funny it seems like the department of player safety it's like they're kind of you know throwing a, throwing yeah. a coin up in the air and and and, and picking games out of a, a you know out of a hat on, on how they're going to suspend people do you think that maybe uh, gms like they're going to be meeting about this later on in the in the summer talks uh, about the inconsistency with the department of player safety yeah, I think that's always an ongoing conversation with the Department of Player Safety and, and the general managers and everything like that because we are we're trying our best to find that consistency. I think everybody would like consistency. That you know that word I think is key here. Whether it's um, you know bigger punishment in terms of guys getting suspended for longer and we see that consistently, or less games. Uh, I think people would just kind of want it more uniform across the board. In defense of the Department of Player Safety, I'll say 
each situation seems to be very different. I mean, sometimes we get a couple of similar hits here and there. Uh, so it can be pretty tough to judge hits that we haven't really seen before. I like the Shifley incident was kind of unique. We haven't really seen a play like that before where a guy gets lit up at the side of the net, trying to, to score into the empty net and somebody's coming from the other end. So you get these kind of unique plays that we don't really have a precedent for. And I think that can make it pretty difficult for the department of player safety. But when I see something like four games in a playoff series like that for a, a bang, bang play, especially for a player that didn't really have a whole lot of history, I, I think that was probably a bit too steep. Kind of funny. They mentioned the uh, Shifley's stats and his back checking, and it's practically non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead, Matt. Well, do you think Evans should have been a little more responsible with his head up? He kind of went in there. Yeah. I thought, hey, easy wraparound, you know, and then, oh, too late, I'm nailed, you know? Yep. I thought he could have been more responsible. No, I, I think that's an excellent point to bring up. And and again, like like I always said, I try to put myself in the skates yeah. of the guy delivering the hit, and then Same. you can put yourself yeah. in the skates of the guy that, that accepted the hit. And when you're Shifley, you don't know what Jake Evans is going to do there behind the net. He gets the puck. He could go to the other side. He could stop. He could wait for reinforcements, try to kill time in the corner. He's I would have ate really, it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You could have yeah. it, uh, you know, ate it right against the boards, killed you know, 10, 15 seconds at a crucial point. Maybe you get a couple reinforcements. You can get the empty net that way. So it's a risk play for Jake Evans. I mean, if I'm putting myself in his skates and I'm wrapping the puck around like that, I know full well there's got to be one or two guys skating full force back to try to stop me from putting this into the empty net. So people were saying it was a bit late in terms of the puck already going to the net. I thought it was kind of all happened at the same time, right? He puts it into the net, yeah. he gets hit at the same time. So uh, I'm with you, Matt. I think that there has to be some kind of onus and some kind of awareness from Jake yeah. Evans because it felt like he just kind of went in with his head down and, and thought, okay, I'm just going to get a freebie empty netter here I, I feel like there's a lot of that now with these younger players especially I coach and I notice my high school guys they go into the boards I I wasn't a forward I was a goalie but I still would see my defenseman turn and look like hey what's coming what's coming and I was yeah. a goalie I'd be like hey you got a guy on you guy on you guy on you I feel like these kids just go in there eh, if I get hit I get hit they're and it's kind of dangerous and I think most of these new up-and-coming players, they have to be a little more responsible. I, I, it's, they're putting themselves in dangerous positions. Yeah, I, I do see a lot more of that now because... I, I just think you can just get away with things a bit more. And we know that yeah. you know the Department of Player Safety is there to, to help you and, and to, to come down with these sorts of punishments. So I think players aren't as afraid, uh, I guess, out on the ice anymore for, for players getting hit. And, you know, I don't want players to be uh, afraid on the ice that they're going to get a neck injury or a head injury. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to see them put themselves in a situation where uh, you could get one. And I mean, I, you know, further to your point, people sort of putting themselves in dangerous situations. I've even seen guys embellish uh, hits from behind now. You're seeing that quite a bit oh, where yeah. they'll sort of throw themselves against the boards and you still kind of think, hey, you could get hurt doing that yeah, if you do, you it, do it the wrong way and then they yeah. grab the face and you get the five-minute yeah. major. So that just makes it more difficult on the refs, more difficult on the Department of Player Safety that guys are trying to sell these hits because they know there's a possibility you could get a five-minute power play and in a playoff type situation, you could maybe even get the guy suspended. And, I'm, and again, I'm not not saying that was the Jake Evans situation at all. He was legit seriously hurt in, the, in oh, that yeah. situation. But talking about other uh, situations that we've seen around the league, I, I think I've seen guys maybe sell some of these hits a bit more than maybe we saw five, ten years ago. I think that's a really good example. And to be honest with you, Jake Evans has a um, he has a, a head injury issues uh, in, in his career. And I mm -hmm. think that's the fact that maybe he leaves his head down a little bit too much. So if anything, for young hockey players out there, why it's important to keep your head up you know, while you play or to develop that skill, uh, you, you know, to keep your head up that uh, to prevent yourself from putting yourself into these vulnerable situations. Oh, yeah. The worst are, you know, when you're going to get the puck behind the net and your back is completely turned and the guy just gives you a whack and it's almost like a boarding. Those are the worst. I didn't Hosa have one a couple of years ago against like Ham Hughes. Was that like 2010? It looked pretty violent. But Hosa's so strong, he just put like an arm on him. I think he got a five-minute major for that. Then he came out of the box and scored. I think it was that game. But those are the hits that scare me the most when mm. there's space between the boards and maybe like three feet from the boards and you're hit. You, like that could be a bad neck injury, a back injury. It's those are those are the scary ones that yeah. I think players need to be more responsible. If their backs turn, just lay off. You know. Have you seen out? Uh, do, do you ever listen to Bill Burr, Jake? 
Oh yeah. Oh, he's hilarious. Man, he yeah, was talking about uh he was talking about goalies, man. And he was like, <laughs> isn't it great how goalies whenever they get hit, they uh looks like they got ran over by a bread truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> complete yard complete yard sale. Well yeah, Matt, you man. you were a goalie, right? Did you ever yes. yard sale it? Yeah. <laughs> no, because I would have got my ass kicked on the way home from my dad for doing <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad was the guy up in the 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 stands being he, I'd hear him yelling, and I try to block him out. He'd be like, "Are you kidding me? You can't stop a beach ball tonight." He'd be yelling, and I'm like, "Oh God, please just stop, please! I gotta stop the next shot. Just get it out, you know." I just That's hope the stuff. puck hits you, hits you yeah, next time. Please hit me, hit me right in the chest, please. Yeah, fall under the glove. So, yeah. Jake, what was your favorite series from the first round? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. There's a there's a few good ones to pick from. I thought early on, I mean first the first game uh, of Florida and Tampa Bay was just incredible, and I thought old time wow. hockey. Yeah. yeah, old time hockey. There was yeah. stuff after basically every single whistle. You could really feel the hatred, and I still think that probably was one of the better series of of the first round. I really liked uh, Islanders Pittsburgh as well. I thought that was right. a, a great a great series. Um, and you could throw the I think the one that surprised me the most, one I actually picked as a sweep, and uh, the team I picked to win the Stanley Cup at the start of the year, the Carolina Hurricanes. I picked them to sweep Nashville. Wasn't expecting a whole lot from the Preds. Yep. The Preds showed up, man. I mean, they, they they played a great, great series there. Took Carolina to six games. UC Saros played really well between the pipes, and uh, they were good in front of them as well. So that series, I think, probably was the most surprising to me uh, in, ter- in terms of quality. And, you know, the fact that Montreal-Toronto went seven games, you know, people will look at it and say, wow, seven-game series. For a lot of that series, there wasn't a whole lot going on. I just didn't really feel the energy in the series like I did in some of the others. And I think that had to do with the lack of, of fans in the building. I, I really do think that we saw the difference between fans and no fans. Uh, because last year, we had no fans anywhere in the bubble. This year, we had fans in some places. We had no fans in other places, particularly here in Canada. And you really noticed the difference flipping around between different games. And there was just such an energy in the building in some of these packed barns like Nashville, like Carolina. And I think that's what made those series a bit more exciting than maybe what we saw in in the north division good call by the way (laughs) we got to give you props yeah we did you called it we call it we're gonna call you the montreal yeah Yeah. oh man i i still couldn't believe it even though i called it when i was on with you guys i just kind of had that sneaky feeling because of the way the leafs dominated montreal all season that it would just be so leafs to lose the series and then when they got up 3-1 i thought okay maybe maybe this is the year that they actually get it done i mean they're clearly the better team in this matchup they got two chances at home to close it out even without fans and two overtime games to close it out i mean they had uh game five and game six in overtime and i believe it was game six where they outshot montreal like 16 to 2 in the overtime or something like that and they just couldn't buy one on carry price and you just thought okay something weird is going to go in here it's going to go to game seven and then uh of course, Montreal scores, and I felt like once it got to seven, the Leafs had no, had no chance. They were just the team that had all the pressure on them at that point. Montreal was playing loose; they were kind of playing with house money. They were they were a zombie at that point because they should have been dead already, and then <laughs> yeah. they, they end up yeah. winning that game seven. So, yeah, I thought game seven was about as as big of a lock as as you can get. I just thought there was too much pressure on the Leafs. There. Did, didn't they give up a two on zero in overtime? What yeah. the heck? In, that was game five. Yeah, game five, bad, yeah. bad pass by Mitch Marner Mitch. Uh, led, oh. led to that 2-1. It was like a minute into, yeah. into the game. He tried to go right across the blue line and then uh, results in that 2-1. And I think that gave Montreal a lot of life. They thought, yeah. okay, and you know, before that overtime, because um, I believe Montreal was up 3-0 in that game. The Leafs came back, scored They're three fighting. goals, tied it 3-3, and then they had a bunch of chances to end it in regulation. I I, I believe it was Mikheyev that had a chance with about six seconds left. A wide open net, hopped over his stick goes to overtime, and then that 2-1-0 that you mentioned. I, I just think that's really where the series flipped, and, and I, I felt like Montreal got a lot of life after that and never really looked back. I mean, they won seven games straight going from the Leafs series right into the Jets series. Yeah, yeah absolutely incredible, man. You know, just yeah. considering who the Leafs have on their team that they couldn't uh, that they couldn't pull it together, you know? Yeah, what now for them? Like, what? I mean, yeah. I thought Campbell was good. I don't think he was bad. Do you uh, think they need that money now? to pay him and let Anderson probably go, right? I don't think there's a spot for Anderson. I, I just feel like yeah. with their cap situation right now, obviously health question marks with him this year. I know he's close with a lot of guys on the team. I believe him and Austin Matthews are, are really good friends. They hang out together a lot off the ice, but I don't think that's going to go into the decision-making at all. I, I think the it's Leafs are a very, yeah, yeah. very analytical team, and, and we know that teams like this don't really like to spend up on, on goaltenders. And I would say... 
that would kind of be my MO too if I was building a team is I'd like to save at the goaltending position. All that being said though, you know, we're seeing in the playoffs right now, the four teams that are alive, a lot of them have goaltenders that are making a lot of money. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of yeah. being proven wrong a little bit on, on some of this because I feel like you yeah. can get through the regular season with cheaper goaltending. But once you get into the playoffs, you kind of want that that guy back there with some pedigree, with some you know uh, experience come playoff time in, in big games. So kind of fighting myself on that thinking, hey, do you want to pay up for a goalie or do you want to save money and spread it elsewhere on the roster? Because we are seeing a, a lot of the big high paid goalies have playoff success right now. It's like Boomer said in your show today. Uh, there's five goalies with Leonard. I, I mean, yep. you got five yep. goalies and he's not even playing. That's yeah. insane. And they're what are those guys making? Close to nine million the yeah, Vegas night. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe they might be twelve million combined. If I'm yeah, not, I think 12. it's seven, seven and five. So they're seven they're paying. Uh, yeah, they're paying a lot of money for two guys, and obviously they've really only been using one. I know Leonard got that that start in Game One against Colorado. Oh, they kind of just threw him to the wolves. Threw him to the yeah, wolves. No <laughs> that was here you go. no Good chance. Luck. <laughs> yeah, here you go. We just played. We just played Game Seven against Minnesota. Yeah. Quick turnaround. We go to to Mile High, and we'll just throw you to the wolves. So kind of <laughs> felt been, bad for him in that situation. Yeah, me no too. Kidding. That's been the trend this year. It's like uh, even with Barry Trotz, he's been, you know, flipping goalies and. Uh, I, Boston is like the only team in uh, Tampa that haven't, you know, they stuck with their guys and yeah. all these other teams. Yeah, we're going to go with him. We're going to go with him. And as a goalie, I hated that. I'm like, Day of. Let me know. Yeah, yeah. let me know. I got to sit and stare at my ceiling and get ready, you know, for the game here. Yeah, well, I, I do think, too, back to your original question about the Leafs and, and kind of where they go from here. I, I know it's disappointing for a lot of Leafs fans right now. I mean, most of my friends are, are Leafs fans. People were really upset by the way that that series went, especially when they were up 3-1. But real, realistically, you play that over and over again, and they probably win that series in five or six games. They win one of those overtimes. They get one of those bounces. They get yep. something past Carey Price. So I don't think you want to overreact too much if you're the Maple Leafs. I still think you've got some great pieces there. Um, are my only concern is, are they a cup team? I think we've all established that they're a team that can have success in the regular season. Um, even though they haven't won a round, I think they could win a round, maybe even two rounds. But are they good enough to go up against those top teams in the NHL? I'm still kind of unsure about that. And what moves do they have to make to get themselves to that position? So I, I still think they're pretty close. Um, you know, they uh, they made a couple of moves here recently. I know Spets is coming back now uh, for a year at a cheap deal. I think that's a great price, especially the way that he played. I mean, you could argue he was he might have been their best player in the playoffs, yeah, which is not a was. good thing. You don't want Jason Spezza to be your, no. your best player. Maybe that's <laughs> why they lost the series. But credit to him. I mean, he's still he's still bringing it uh, at an older age now. And I'd like to see them do things a bit differently with maybe their bottom six. Like watching Joe Thornton. I love Joe Thornton. Uh, he's an all-time player, you know, instant Hall of Famer. But he just looks slow out there. And, yeah. and you know, there were slow some other Joe. guys. Uh, yeah, I thought in that bottom six. I just think that they could make it maybe a little quicker, you know, a little younger, maybe a bit more physical would be my, uh, my approach if, if I was building the, that team heading into next year. He's got 10 pounds growing on his face. Yeah. That's what I would try to get rid <laughs> Start of that. there. Yeah. <laughs> no effort. <laughs> He'd be a lot faster, a lot more aerodynamic. Right. If he got rid of that, you know? <laughs> just instead of coming down at you. I, I hate them. I just, those, those Shark series, those were battles oh, with the yeah. Hawks. Oh, I, I just couldn't stand them, but I know he's one of the best passers of all time. He's just so yeah. smart. I think he had 90 assists one year. Yeah, with Chichu, Jonathan Chichu. Remember, he got him the, oh, the freaking Chichu rocket? Era. Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> Chichu's gone. <laughs> All right, man. Second round. What was your favorite series in the second round? Yeah, second round was 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 pretty good actually. Uh, and there, like I like we mentioned before, the first round there was a bunch of a bunch of good ones. I mean, I'd, I'd safely say Montreal Winnipeg was the worst uh, of the second round series. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we crazy. we talked about the Shifley situation. I just think that took the energy out of the series right away. Didn't really have fans in the building or too many fans. I think Montreal had like twenty five hundred at their home game. So. I was never really feeling that series, and it just felt like Montreal was going to win it, especially after Shifley had, had that suspension. I think the one we were all most excited for going into it Colorado. was Vegas. Yeah, Vegas, yeah. Colorado. I mean, in another world, that could have been a cup final if they weren't in, in the same division, uh, best team in the league versus second best team in the league. So I was a little surprised by the way that Colorado kind of went away in that series after starting so good 
uh, in the first couple games, but credit to Vegas for adjusting. And I just don't think Colorado was able to, to make those same adjustments. And the Islanders in Boston was, it was a really good one as well. And I was not as shocked as uh, some other people that the Islanders came through in that series. I have a lot of respect for Boston and what they're doing, but this Islanders team is just a playoff team. I, I think when you get into a matchup with them, you get into a matchup with Barry Trotz, it's, it, it's difficult to come through that. So yeah, I liked Islanders, Boston and Colorado Vegas. Those were, those were probably my, my two favorites. Anything stand out to you guys? Um, you know what? I was, to be honest with you, I was kind of disappointed with the Colorado series because I was looking for it to be more of the, um, Nathan McKinnon show and mm-hmm. he didn't really show up exactly the way that I thought that he would on such a big stage. And, you know, on yeah. partly it's because I just watched Connor McDavid, you know, just gracefully do his, uh, his Houdini impersonation. I watched Austin <laughs> Matthews do his Houdini impersonation. And then uh, Nathan McKinnon got his cape and figured it was his turn. And it, yep. it's really unfortunate because he's such a hard competitor, but it just didn't have enough to, to will his team back, really back into it. And not to take anything away from Vegas, because Vegas completely owned them, man. You know, it, it yeah. wasn't even it wasn't a it wasn't a matchup between two juggernauts. It seemed like Vegas had the had had a grip on them after I want to say game two. And uh, and that really stood out for me is is that is Colorado still a young team where they needed this beatdown to get that to get that experience going into the playoffs next year? You know, um, well, that was I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got a bit of scar tissue now the last couple of years, right? right? Because they lost this series to Vegas one. I'm sure they expected to win. The whole the Dallas loss last year in, in overtime, that one had to hurt because, you know, they were clearly the better team on paper in that matchup and, and they didn't get it done. And you could really see it on Nathan McKinnon in his post game afterwards. I mean, anyone's going to be disappointed <laughs> yeah. when they get knocked out of the playoffs, but you can tell it's eaten away at him that he's been in the league for a long time and he really hasn't won anything or, or legitimately competed for a Stanley Cup or, or gotten to a Stanley Cup final. You know, regular season numbers are nice and winning a couple rounds is nice, but he wants to win a Stanley Cup. So I do think he's going to get there. And and I like the fact that he's competitive. I like the fact that it bothers him, that he really wants to win. Uh, I do think he's going to be back. But you're right. Vegas did take control that series. Even game number two, uh, a game that Colorado won. Vegas was the better team for most of that game. Goes to overtime. I think it was Riley Smith that got called for that chintzy slashing penalty uh, that put Colorado on the power play. And I think Ranton scored the power play goal to put the abs Beautiful up 2 goal nothing. Too. Yeah, it was, it was a great shot. Uh, you probably shouldn't have been on the power play, but great finish by by Rantanen. Uh, and then I thought, okay, I think the abs sort of got away with one. They're up 2 nothing in the series. They got a lot of leeway, and you know, sure enough, they didn't win another game the, the rest of the way. So I, w- I was kind of shocked by the way that that all went. Yeah, me and me and actually Matt were talking about on the last one how we think that guys should have um, – they should do a day after the end of a series that they should have you know like the evening to p- kind of process – the um process the game and then interview him the next day because you didn't yeah. really get much out of mckinnon you know he was no. like yeah no no that no, wasn't that's it a good point <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. And, and it's if if i was you know obviously mckinnon is you know elite top of the, he's he's a hell of a competitor and then you want this guy to, to come out of that kind of mindset and sit here and give you coherent thoughts on what he probably perceives as stupid questions you know after the game you know, he, he. I think that these guys should get a little bit more time um, afterwards. But um, you know, the Islanders, man, have really impressed me. I, I wasn't looking for much out of them, but starting with with the first round, you know, I was like, you know what? Um, I think this team has something here. And then it went to the yeah. second round. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm actually favoring this team in in this round and they just seem like a tough team to play against when you go into when you go whether they're home or away expect a beating coming to you you know whether they're winning or they're losing and i think that uh, yeah and i think that might be getting into um i think that that's actually helped them with um you know playing and and to be honest with you i like their brand of of playoff hockey it's not exactly the um New Jersey Devils, I'm going to put you to sleep type of games. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not a Vegas coming at you at a thousand miles per hour type of games. But I, I've really liked the, the Islanders. And to be honest with you, they are my uh, they're my pick that I, I'd like to see them. Uh, I'd like to see them win it. I'm like with to you. say it's Tampa. That's yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know you want no. Tampa. Well, I feel like the Islanders get this unfair moniker that they are this boring team. And like, sure, maybe they're not the most exciting team left in the NHL or the most exciting team in general, but I don't find watching their games boring at all. I, you right. know, they get those devil's comparisons and things like that. Like, it's not like they're sitting back playing a legitimate trap. Yeah, they're, they're defensive at times and, and they'll protect the lead when they do have it. But I feel like they're more downhill. They're in your face. They roll four lines. They'll kind of drag you in the mud a little bit. I, and to me, it's good fun hockey. They've got some sneaky skill on that team too. Obviously, Matt Barzell, uh, he continues awesome. to develop. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. He he seems yeah. to be good now in the playoffs for a highlight real goal or a highlight real play almost every single game. So, are they loaded with those sort of skill talented players? You know, like you know teams like Colorado or Toronto who flamed out sort of early. No, they're not built that way. But they've got a couple of those guys, and then they've got playoff caliber players, right? And we've just seen them have so much playoff success over the past couple of years. So I don't think any of us should really be surprised that they're here, surprised that they're given Tampa Bay a series or, or anything like that. I, I just think they're very legit, and I think their game translates well over to playoff success. And Matt mentioned Barry Trotz as well, and I think he's probably the key to all of this. I mean, you could probably give that Islanders team to a lot of other coaches, and we might not see them have the same success that they're having right now. You look at the past four years of Barry Trotz in the National Hockey League, he's 10-2 and two now in playoff series over the past four years. That's including the, uh, the, Stanley, the, Stanley, Cup, right? the Stanley Cup yeah. win with the Washington Capitals, where you'd obviously go 4-0 in his series. But since then, only he's only lost two with the Islanders. One was to the Carolina Hurricanes, and the other one was to the Tampa Bay Lightning in the conference final nice last year. year. So two tough a couple teams. of pretty good teams that yeah. you're losing yeah. to there. Uh, yeah. So, it, yeah, it's tough to beat the this Isles team. And, um, you know, like Michael said as well, I think for me, if I'm looking for a fan base, a team that I can kind of get behind out of these final four teams that I would most like to see win the Stanley Cup – it would be the Islanders. I, I just love their fans. You know, they have always been big supporters of our channel. Uh, we always get a lot of Islanders fans tweeting in, calling in. Uh, so I would be happy for them, I think, more than, than any other fan base, all due respect to the other three, uh, to win a Stanley Cup. You know, I, I just like to see it get spread out a little bit. I like to see every fan base have their moment. Like when yeah. when, when the Blackhawks won uh, their first Stanley Cup, I was the biggest Blackhawks fan ever. I just wanted to see you guys win so badly. Uh, you know, then you guys got a little bit greedy with the, with the other two. You didn't want to save any for uh for, for anybody else but Tampa uh, got I, didn't, I didn't see it that way yeah yeah, yeah. no I yeah. know exactly take take yeah. as many as you can when, <laughs> when you can get them but um that that's kind of what I like to see as someone that's that's just sort of a general sports fan I like to see all of these cities kind of have their moments all these fan bases have their moments so out of the four left right now you know Tampa won last year I don't know if I need to see them win again so I'm I'm kind of sneaky pulling for the Islanders fans right now yeah they're loud they got the oh, Daniel Bryant chants going, the yes yeah. chants. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. <laughs> I just hate the Nashville fans. Yeah. I thought, like, they're so, I don't get what they're saying. I, I don't know why there's catfish thrown on the ice. It just doesn't make sense. Because yeah. they did that at the United Center, and I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah, Go we away. do not like Nashville yeah. here, man. <laughs> yeah. You they're know, a good I, team, but I, I just hate them. <laughs> you brought up a great point. It's something I wanted to talk about. And I think it's something that. I think that every other team in the NHL should should take notice of is that every team that has superstars that they're that they're paying out of their minds for are out of the playoffs essentially, yep. and the teams that are left are teams that are built from top to bottom with good players and role players, and those role players are actually really talented as well. Do you think that going forward that teams are going to stop stocking up on top end? high talent and then just leaving the bottom lines for just the dredges of the guys coming out of the AHL? I think a lot of the teams that you see having success right now and, and in the past couple of years, they still have that high-end talent, but they were able to get some of that high-end talent at a discount. You know, Whether that was a player maybe underperforming early in his career, signs a long contract for less money, and then he ends up being a superstar, like a Nathan McKinnon who's making, I think, $6.3 million per season, Sorry, which is heard of. half yeah. of what he should be making right now. So True. that yeah. allows Colorado to spread things out a little bit. You look at Tampa, you know, guys like Kucherov, not paid probably as much as they should be paid. And, and some of those other top guys, they were able to get discounts on, on some of these players. So I think it's an interesting conversation because if you're the player, yeah, you only have so many years you're playing professional hockey. You want to capitalize on it. You want to make as much money as possible. But in a cap world, I, I still think there's something to be said for the player taking a bit less money, even if you are a superstar, to be able to spread it around the roster a little bit more. You know, Because then you put yourself in a situation where, 
okay, yeah, I'm, I'm Connor McDavid. I'm making $12, $13 million a year. That's great. I'm one of the highest paid players in the league, but I have no playoff success because we can't spread this money elsewhere. Or you look at the Leafs cap situation where you've got Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, all making really good money. It really hampers what they can do with the rest of the team. So uh, again, I, I think there's something to be said for guys taking maybe a bit of a haircut if they want to try to win Stanley Cups. And it's not like you're going to be poor and asking for money on the streets. You're still going to be making some pretty good money, you know, a la what, what Sidney Crosby did years ago with the Pittsburgh Penguins, giving them a bit of a discount signing for, I believe it was $8.7 million per year for Sid. And it allowed Pittsburgh to spread it out a little bit more, bring some talent in, you know, bring guys like Phil Kessel in that, that helped win the Stanley Cup. So um, again, that's how I would play it if I was a player. But I also understand that the players want to get paid and, and they want to yeah. get the most money. But you just look at the player, the teams that are having success right now, and it's teams that maybe got a discount or a haircut on some of these players when they were underperforming early in their career. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember when Sid signed that contract, they said he's real superstitious and you wanted to sign for uh, 8.7. His number, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, it worked for him, right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He's one of the best players of all time. Yeah. You, know? you should have said, just give me 87 million. We're, we're good. We'll call, yeah, it, we'll call it even. We'll yeah. call it even. <laughs> yeah, we're good then. I'll get so, you back to back. So what are your yeah. predictions for the third round here? Yeah, well, you know, we're into it a little bit now. We, we, got, we got a couple games in, so we've been able to see the teams. And I, I do think that that helps. Sometimes you want to see these teams go head to head. And we try to make predictions before the series, and we're often wrong because we just don't really know what it's going to look like <laughs> once, the, once the teams hit the ice. But, you know, as I talk to you guys right now, we got the Islanders and uh, Tampa Bay locked up at 1 1. I like Great. the way that this, yeah, I like the way that the series is going for the Islanders right now. I, I know they lost game two. I still thought they gave a pretty good account of themselves. It seems like they're trying to drag Tampa into a lot of these post-whistle scrums I think that is advantage Islanders especially if the refs aren't going to call penalties on that just keep face washing these guys you know try to bring Kucherov in their point throw these guys off their games as much as possible throw you know Clutterbuck and Sezikis and Martin and Komarov over the boards and yeah Yeah. no they're they're great and and try to drag these skilled Tampa Bay Lightning players into the mud so I think it's advantage Isles as we stand right now but I do think it is going to be difficult for them to hold serve in games three and four on home ice it's i know they're gonna have the barn rocking and the coliseum is just going to be crazy for those two games and they get a a saturday night game as well uh, which is going to be a a lot of fun but tampa's not going to make it easy on them so it feels like it's it's six or seven written all over it right now and i'm going to give the lean to to the new york islanders to to get it done maybe in game six uh, at the coliseum that's kind of how it feels like this one's going and uh, I liked what I saw from Montreal in game one. I, I got to be honest with you guys. They, they came out of the gates. They played a pretty solid first period. I thought they caught Vegas maybe a bit sleepy. It was a sluggish start for the Knights. They seemed like they really couldn't even complete a, a pass, you know, the first five minutes of that game. Once they scored, they settled down. I thought they took control of the game. So Vegas is clearly the better team in that matchup. I think it would be pretty shocking if they lost the series. But I do think Montreal is going to grind it out, win a game, maybe two games. So I, I'm going to say Vegas gets this thing done in, uh, in six. Well, yeah, they are currently uh, game two of Montreal's leading one to nothing as of oh, right now. Change my pick. Okay, Montreal in six. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Good, okay. oh, good start for the Habs. That would be interesting. Islanders versus Montreal in the Stanley oh, Cup man. finals. What do you got, Matt? Yeah, I, I, I like his take on the Islanders. I'm going to go with Tampa just because I think the Boo. Islanders – are going to get in penalty trouble and you cannot do that against no, the lightning. No, not at all. They just dominate and they're I feel yeah. like even if they don't score, they still are down there creating a lot of chances and that's 2 minutes that the Islanders aren't in their zone and it's just it if Kucherov's dangerous, Stamkos point, they just got so many good players that could bury it. If the Islanders can stay out of the penalty box, they I think that they could win the series because that's something mm-hmm. that Carolina just for the life of them could not do. They could well, not the stay Saints, out of the penalty so, box. Yeah. <laughs> no, Barry like, Trotz was mad, wasn't he? He goes, well, there was too many men on that one play. On that, that last goal by, was it point? Was did, it? did Eddie Olchek uh, catch power that? Play. No, it was a power play. Oh, God, Eddie Olchek. Yeah, he lets you know. Too many men on the ice. Like, every single game, that's his thing in Chicago. But wasn't Barry Trotz mad about a too many men, no call? Was it? A, and then yeah. Braden Point, that was like that interference was the big thing, I thought, out of game, uh, what was that, game two, that he took away the um, Varlamov not saving it. Like, the goalie interference, but he was pushed, clearly, by yeah. the Islanders the- player. 
that was a that was a miss call. There's a couple missed calls in that game. Yeah. I guess you could say it sort of went out in the wash because one one yeah, team had a bad call, one team had a bad yeah. call. Tampa probably deserved to win the game in the end, anyways. But like you, you still like would like to see the refs get it right. And a sure. couple of them were, were pretty egregious. I mean, the goaltender interference was was so crystal clear that he got pushed into the goaltender. And then of course the Islanders score on the power play. Anytime there's a bad call like that, you just know the team's going to score it, on, it on the power play. Yeah. It's almost like it's <laughs> yeah. it's almost uncanny how much that that happens. And, yeah. Uh, but I, I think you guys make a good point, too, about the, the power play in that series. That's going to be key. You know, it's always a cliche this time of year or just a hockey cliche in, in general that you want to stay out of the box. Like, of course, you want to stay out of the box. But I think even more so in a series like this, if you're the Islanders, because I actually think five on five, I don't want to say they're the better team, but I think they can equal Tampa five on five. They can yeah. hang with them five on five. But they can wear you, them down. If, yeah, yeah, if you give Tampa four or five power plays in a game, you're, you're just asking for it because mm-hmm. they can snap it around and it almost looks automatic sometimes. So. It does. That's going to be the key for the Islanders is kind of balancing between, okay, playing physical, dragging them into some of those post-whistle scrums, things like that, but also not taking penalties. And that's a, a very fine line depending on the refs you have in, in any given game because they can feel differently and start to just pull guys out of those scrums, send the Isles to the box, and then you're in big, big trouble. So now that we've got that wrapped up, there's something I wanted to bring to your attention. It's an article that me and Matt read about a week ago, and it was about... Uh, it was about the Hawks, and it was about what can they do, what defensemen do they need oh, on their back one. end oh, to to get them <laughs> terrible get them writing. Going. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, actually, it it brings up an interesting talking point. Is they were mentioning that Seth Jones was in you know in in the rumor mill to yeah. possibly talk with the with the Hawks, right? And they're saying how he would be a bad decision because of his offensive output and how it's been going down steady for three years. And on the other end of that, they say that this guy said that um, Dougie Hamilton would be the best option for the back end for the Blackhawks. No. And I'm going to tell you what, what, what we think. And let, let me know what, what you think. So the, the last thing that the Hawks need, I believe, is another puck. <laughs> another puck moving defenseman and offensively offensive minded um, defenseman. And that's because that's all that we really have right now. Other than, uh, you know, Zadorov, Zadorov, he is really the only shutdown guy that we have. And especially when he mentions that Connor Murphy is, is, you know, a number one pairing defenseman, which I, I disagree with. No, um, not- I think that Seth Jones would be perfect on the Blackhawks because a, we need someone who can move the puck. B, we need someone who can play defense and play defense well. He has, he's still young and uh, he, he's still healthy. And I think that he has what it takes to take, kind of take the reins over for Duncan Keith because he knows what it is to be, you know, uh, uh, um, he's been in the league. He knows what it is to be the guy. And, uh, and we can move Duncan Keith down to the second line because in his stage in his career, Keith should be playing second line minutes, at least to extend his career as, as much as we can. What do you think? Well, I don't know how much I buy into the dip in the numbers for Seth Jones. I've been seeing some of the the you know outlying numbers, the analytical numbers on, on Seth Jones, and they're not great. I think some of that has to do with the fact that he's not driving play as much, and usually offense uh, ends up translating well to those numbers, whereas playing more defensive doesn't really translate well into those numbers. And Columbus has just really been no good, so they were bad. I think that yeah. yeah, I think that just hurts him as as well. Uh, that the numbers might not look as great for him, but still watching him with the eye test, I mean. He, he looks like he could compete for Norris trophies in the future. So I'm not too worried about the dip in, in the numbers for Seth Jones over the past couple of years. I can chalk that up to a bad situation in Columbus. Maybe he doesn't like playing for John Tortorella. I don't, I, I don't know, right? You can, you can make a couple of different narratives there for Seth Jones. But all that being said, I believe in the player. I think he's great. And I, I've always said that I think that he could compete for Norris trophies. And you make the point too, Michael. He's, he's still young. I mean, he has experience in the league, but he's still got a ton of great years ahead of him. Uh, and I think it would be a, a perfect sort of replacement for Duncan Keith if that did end up happening uh, to kind of bring him in and and be that defensive guy on on the back end because it's not like he can't move the puck either, right? And right. He, yeah, he's not going to lead uh, the league in points from the back end, but he's still a pretty good puck moving defenseman, uh, and he can still get it done offensively as well as defensively. So I like the fit. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's a ton of teams that would like 
the services of Seth Jones because it's not often somebody like that hits the yeah. market or is available for trade. But I, I think the Blackhawks would be a great fit, and it, it's something that they need. It's it's something that they're really missing on the back end right now. Yeah. What would you do if you were the GM of Columbus with Jones? Do you trade him at the draft, or mm-hmm. do you hold out to the deadline, or do you just let him go like they did with Panarin and uh, Bobrowski? It's a yeah. tough one. Well, I, I think you try to make a trade. I think you try to get something for him because you are working from, I still think, a, a, a nice position if you're Columbus at the moment because you've got one more year of control on Seth Jones, and I believe he's making $5.4 million next year. So he's got one more year on that <laughs> oh deal. Gosh. So that's enticing so, for a team. Like even a team yeah. that's going for it that's in position to maybe win a Stanley Cup next year. Uh, you know, if we put the Blackhawks aside for a second, if you're a team that's that's going for it next year, you could maybe trade for a Seth Jones and say, "Hey, I'll take him for five point four million bucks next year. That yeah, can work again. Uh, yeah, that can work on my cap. He can go into my my top pairing, at least my top four, and we can go for it. And then we can make a decision to sign him or not at the end of next season. So I think there's so many different teams, there's so many different options. But if you are Columbus for, from your original question there, um, I I think you try to get something for him. I don't think you let this guy walk. You've let too many guys yeah. walk and and not been able to get anything for them. Uh, and the fact that he's got a pretty nice deal going in next year, I think teams are going to be pretty enticed by that. And, and there will be a pretty big market for Seth Jones. So Columbus might actually be able to get a pretty decent return for him well who would you if you were bowman who would you package that's interesting obviously obviously a first rounder right you have to yeah i i I think that would probably be a starting point for uh for the columbus blue jackets because picks are something they're probably going to want they they got to be looking towards the future at this point because what they have right now is is drastically broken and they've got a long way to to sort of climb back up after they went all in a few years ago and a lot of those players are just gone now so yeah if i'm columbus i'd be looking for picks if i'm chicago I'd probably be willing to offer a pick or or maybe even a couple of picks if, if it comes down to that, maybe a later pick as well. Uh, and I mean, you guys would probably be more well-versed with the prospects uh, for the Blackhawks than I would, but if there's a, a decent prospect there, I don't know if you want to give up the whole farm for, for Seth Jones, but if you know that you're going to be able to get him and sign him, extend him as well, because if you're giving up a big package for him, He's not a rental for Chicago for next no, season. If you're giving up a trade, big, yeah. yeah, if you're giving up a big package, you want him locked up a long time as your defenseman of of the present and of the future. So I, I think that's going to come into it as well. Yeah, really interesting because I wonder how much what he'll want, what kind of contract he'll want. You know, will he favor term or will he favor money? You know, probably nine nine million a year. I'm guessing close. I don't know eight. I'll go eight. Eight mil. Yeah. yeah, he's he's gonna want that that term for sure because this is the contract like right where, maker, yeah. yeah this is the moneymaker contract for him. He's been in the league for a little while. He's he's proven himself despite the fact that the numbers are kind of down over the past couple of seasons. Uh, you know, it's his first big unrestricted free agent contract, and when he signs it, I believe he's gonna be about 27, 28. And you know that contract can be dangerous for for teams at times because you sign a guy for too long, gets into his mid thirties, he's not quite the the same player. But if you're looking at it from Jones' perspective, he's like yeah. Yeah, this is the time I, I got to hit it right because this you know I'm, I'm right in my prime. So it's it's a big contract. It's a big moment for, for Seth Jones. Yeah, yeah. Do I want to get paid or do I want to win? I mean, it's it's yeah. big decision for him. Wow. So going into the future, any anything going into the off season that has your your interest peaked, Jake? Yeah, well, there's a few. It's actually a really interesting offseason. I mean, Seth Jones, his name being out there, I, I think is very interesting. A guy like Jack Eichel, his name yeah. being out there, I think is is huge for the NHL. Because, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, well, you just yeah. don't see a name like that become available very often, right? You have to get lucky in the draft lottery to, to get one of those guys on your team. You got to draft first, second, third overall. So for someone like that to be available, um, I think that's going to be huge. I think that's going to be a lot of fun throughout the course of the offseason to, to really follow and see where he might end up i think the goaltending carousel is going to be really interesting this year as well there's a bunch of goaltenders contracts that are up and there could be some movement at the goaltending position so those are just a couple things i I think that are at at the top of my list but i I feel like jack eichel watch will be number one in the nhl until he he finds a new destination where where do you think he's going to end up there's a lot of speculation Uh, i mean detroit yeah well 
Detroit's interesting. I mean, there's a couple of other teams out there, uh, I think, that can pull it off with the cap space and with where they're at. The one name that I, I have found very interesting that a couple people have mentioned to me, I'm not saying it's any sort of guarantee, Rangers. but is the, uh, the LA Kings. The LA Kings oh, feel very, very uh, interesting in terms of a team, a destination for Jack Eichel because they're not quite an up-and-coming team right now. They've sort of built the thing up. They've, they've got some interesting pieces there. I think they're pretty close to taking that step to at least be a playoff team. And a guy like Jack Eichel, I think, would help them instantly take that step. And if you brought him in, you still have Andre Kopitar there. There's your one and two in, in terms of, of down the middle of the ice. That's that's pretty nice. And, and Drew Doughty seems to have turned things around over the past couple of years. So I don't know. I, I think a move like that could instantly turn L.A., I don't want to say into a contender. I think that's probably going a bit too far. But instantly into a playoff team and a team that can make the playoffs for, for the next couple of years. And, and who knows, maybe even better than that. So the Kings are an interesting name that, that kind of keeps popping up. But I'm sure every team in the league or almost every team in the league is at least going to kick tires on the Sabres and, and see what the asking price is for Jack Eichel and, and how they can figure it out under the cap. Yeah, I wonder how his neck... His neck issue is going to transpire because yeah. he's, you know, he's about getting the surgery. And from what I've heard is that the um, other teams have agreed with the Sabres about um, opting against uh, having the surgery. I wonder if that's going to be contingent on on um, maybe like a trade or, or, or something that, hey, we'll take him if he doesn't have the surgery or we take him and then, but it's contingent that you have this surgery in, in order right. to, you know, t- to finish the deal. Because obviously he, he's going to have to have a physical and uh, he'll probably fail it right now if, if his neck injury is as bad as what it is. Yeah. And I, I think there has to be a little bit of concern, like buyers beware on, on Jack Eichel, because that sounds like a pretty serious injury that, that he's gone through. And we didn't see him play very well this year. And, and you can chalk it up to the injury. Maybe he was playing through something. It does, certainly sounds like he was trying to play through something until he had to shut things down. So I think that's that's going to make maybe some teams a bit reticent to say, well, yeah, he's a talented player. He was drafted second overall. He could be a franchise changer, but we could also be trading for for damaged goods, right? So right. I think it's yeah. a, it, it just Risky. adds another layer to to the, this whole storyline. Um, but I do believe in Jack Eichel, the player. So as long as he's healthy and he's ready to go whenever that might be, I think he could totally change a franchise. And I would love to see a rejuvenated Jack Eichel because he's been stuck in Buffalo now for so long. Yeah. Uh, not even a, a glimpse of the playoffs at this point. So <laughs> I think done. he would... Yeah, he'd just be a free man, ready to go, and 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 he'd be having fun playing where, wherever uh, he ends up going. So I'm excited uh, for him to get a, a fresh start somewhere else. You got anything, Matt? Yeah, me and Mike were talking last podcast about two players. I, He's one way, I'm the other way. And I, it's Gabriel Landeskog and uh, Taylor Hall. Who would you rather have? I said Landeskog because he plays in the playoffs. He can actually play. He's proven he could play. Their numbers are similar, I think. Yeah, they're, uh, cl- they're a lot closer than what, what either yeah. of us anticipated. I, I think he's just a better player. I think Taylor Hall disappeared in the second round. I think he had like one empty net goal. And I, yeah. I don't know. I just, I'm not like sold on him. And I I think Boston would be kind of crazy to re-sign him to like a big deal. I think they should kind of maybe re-sign Rask and David Krejci. And I, you know, I, I just don't think they should waste the money on that because they're still a good team without him. I'm, I'm starting to feel like Taylor Hall just kind of careered it for one season in, in New Jersey, you know, and then he got that moniker <laughs> yeah. of the the MVP player. And I, I mean, I don't know what happened that year. He was great that year. Uh, I believe they lost to Tampa Bay in in five games that year in the playoffs. And they, when they made the playoffs as well, the Lightning up, obviously a good team. They've been a good team for years, uh, but he was so good that year. And we all thought, okay, this is a, the coming out party for Taylor Hall. He'd been stuck yeah. in Edmonton for so long on bad teams that never made the playoffs. So, you know, we really thought that, okay, so this was Taylor Hall all along. Edmonton just didn't know what they were doing, right? Didn't know what they yeah. had. Uh, so I'm starting to feel like maybe that was a bit of an anomaly. We're never really going to get that Taylor Hall back. I, I still think he's a talented player if used in the right way and if signed for the right dollar figure. Uh, but in terms of a player, I think you can win with come playoff time probably would have to lean towards Gabe Landeskog in that situation because he's a bit, just a bit more physical. I think someone that's versatile in terms of where you can put him in the lineup. I mean, we've seen him play with skilled players uh, in Colorado up on that top line, but I think you could also put him down on a second line, you know, even a third line role if you really had to, but he is a legit top six forward and, and someone that has that physical presence. You know, I, I know some people don't uh, like that they you know can't quantify leadership or, or whatever it might mean, but he does have those leadership qualities uh, that I think you look for in, in a player 
player come playoff time. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably lean towards Gabe Landeskog. Okay. Do you think the the Avs will probably resign him? I, I think they're going to try. I think they're going to try yeah. to make it work. They have a really interesting uh, cap situation going into to this offseason because you've got Gabe Landeskog, who you mentioned, up as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Brandon Ruby Saad. Too. Yeah, Brandon Saad yeah. as well, who I feel like probably will be the odd man out, probably won't end up coming back. Yeah, you mentioned back Philip Grubauer. Yeah, Grubauer. And and the biggest one, I, I think, of them all is Kale McCarr. Uh, you know, what yeah. kind of contract is he yeah. going to get? He's getting paid, man. Oh, he's getting yeah. paid big money. It's blank check to, to Kale McCarr. So yeah. I think that's priority number one. I think Kale McCarr is like a generational defenseman, somebody that you just want to give the car keys over and say, hey, how, how much do you want? If you want to give us a discount, you know, that'd be great. Helps we, would, we would love that, but uh, we'll give you kind of whatever you want. So I think Kale McCarr is priority number one. Then you kind of figure out the rest, but uh, the checklist is long for for Colorado. You know, with with Grubauer, the whole goaltending situation, Gabe Landeskog uh, as well, who I feel like is someone they'd like to have back. He's their captain. He's a big part of that team. I, I just feel like with the, the cap situation there, it's going to become increasingly difficult for them to, to get all this done. I Do think... you resign Grubauer? Sorry, Mike. No, go ahead. Yeah, Do you resign no, I... Grubauer. I thought I... he was not as great against Vegas. I thought it could have been a sweep, honestly. If even if DeBoer started flurry, I think I thought that series could have been four nothing Vegas. I didn't think he was that great. I just Grubauer. don't know where you go from from Grubauer if you don't Top bring him grade. back. And yeah. Uh, yeah, again, it's going to come down to the dollar figure what what Grubauer is asking for. He put up decent numbers in the regular season, so I guess he can come to the table and say, hey, I'm, I've put up great numbers the past couple years. I deserve a True. bit of a raise yeah. uh, in terms of, of the contract. I don't think Colorado is going to want to spend too much on goaltending, though, right? Because they got to pay Kale McCarr. That's going to be a, you know big money. If they do end up bringing back Gabe Landeskog, that's pretty healthy money as well. Uh, so how much is really going to be left to spend on goaltending? So they have some decisions to make there. Maybe they think there's another goaltender within their system that they feel like can give them the similar goaltending to what they got from Philip Grubauer. So I, I guess I could see a situation where he doesn't end up coming back, and that would create another interesting name on the goaltending market. Like we yeah. mentioned earlier, the, the goaltending carousel could be pretty interesting this offseason. Yeah. I think with negotiating with Kale McCarr and his contract, they should have had uh, Nathan McKinnon start off the talks right after that loss and talk about uh, taking, a, taking a little less for the team. <laughs> you want yeah ask him if he wants the mckinnon contract yeah three million you want as much as nate that's that that's perfect what a steal because yeah. we're paying him uh 6.8 you know what do you that's want that's what i would build yeah. my team up he's making the highest yeah slowly go down then you got a chance every season <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah so jake man thank you for uh for jumping back on man we're, we're really appreciative and it's always great Absolutely. talking hockey with Thanks. you hope everything uh is going well out there in uh in canada yeah, no, I love I love jumping on with you guys. I hope hope you'll have me back uh, again soon. We, we we can really break it down. Maybe some sometime in the off season to go over some of these things. See how wrong we were with our, our predictions <laughs> in terms of where players are going to go and, and how much they're going to sign on for. But it's, yeah, it's always a blast chatting with you guys. I hope everything's good uh, down there in, in Chicago as well. Things are getting better here up in Canada. People are starting to get vaccinated. They're starting to open things up a little bit. I can finally go golfing again. So awesome. uh, things yeah. are looking up. There's a, it's a lot more positive now than it was a few months ago. Great, yeah, man. Get outside. You're good. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> get some sun. I need. I just need to play hockey. I'm. I'm missing my beer league hockey games. That's. That's what's killing me the most. My Sunday night games. They. They just won't open that back up yet. Do you play uh, during the summertime, or is it a winter thing for you? Yeah, it's an all all year thing. We have a summer season and then we have a winter fall season. So it bas- they basically overlap. Like there's a if you make it far enough in the winter season, then you're kind of playing playoffs while the summer season's starting. Sometimes you have two games uh, in one night. So yeah, I rarely have a Sunday off. I think it's really only like, only holidays like Christmas weekend and things <laughs> things like that where we don't play. So we're pretty much playing year round, and it's awesome. something that I miss. I'm I'm afraid I I might not even know how to skate when I get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> what position do you play? I'm a center. Yeah, I'm d- I'm oh, down the. Uh, down, down the middle, but I'll move me to the wing. I'll, I'll kind of play wherever in, in, in terms of forward, but, uh, responsible. Yeah. Cent- yeah centers where I, where I do my, the, my best. Selkie. Work. I like, yeah. yeah. It's the Selkie. I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to lead the team in points, but, uh, defensively responsible. The plus minus is going to look real, real good at the end of the season. Uh, yeah. no, nobody nice. scores when I'm on the ice. Nice. Goals, uh, poke checks are like goals. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I try to model myself after like a Bergeron Barkov type player. That's, that's what I'll go for. Oh, uh, okay. Awesome. Dave man. Bowen, the original. Yeah. Oh, that, you brought up one of my yeah. favorite players. I love, love Davey yeah. B. I got a Bowen yeah. jersey in, in the closet. Yeah. Nice. Man. Nice. You know, it's, it's kind a, of funny. It's a, like, Leafs, it's a Leafs Bowen jersey. Though. Oh, not nice. <laughs> short, short time. That was heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, guys. That's all that we got for you tonight. This is the Tomahawk, and we're out. Yeah.